How well does Donald Trump understand cybersecurity? And the U.S. federal government gets its first chief information security officer. These stories and more coming up in the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. We start off today's program with a look at Republican U.S. presidential candidate Donald Trump and where he stands on cybersecurity. It's not easy to determine. On Wednesday, in a speech about national security delivered in Philadelphia, Trump provided a lucid explanation of where he stands on cybersecurity. One of my first directives after taking office will be asking the Joint Chiefs of Staff and all relevant federal departments to conduct a thorough review of United States cyber defenses and identify all vulnerabilities. And we have to do that immediately, including to our power grid, our communication system, and all vital infrastructure. I will then ask for a plan to immediately protect those vulnerabilities and then fix them. At the same time, we will invest heavily in offensive cyber capabilities to disrupt our enemies, including terrorists who rely heavily on Internet communications. In some respects, he outlined a cyber agenda similar to the one his Democratic opponent Hillary Clinton offers, with both candidates saying they'd increase spending on cybersecurity. But here's the rub with Trump's speech. Does he truly understand what he's saying? In reading the speech off a teleprompter, was Trump merely reciting words written by policy advisors without any input from the candidate? I posed that question because what he said the day before. At a Virginia Beach, Virginia forum, he was questioned by his national security advisor, retired Army General Michael Flynn. Flynn asked Trump about the threat of cyber terrorism. Here's the candidate's response. Cyber is becoming so big today. It's becoming uh, something that a number of years ago, a short number of years ago, wasn't even a word. And now the cyber is so big. And, you know, you look at what they're doing with the Internet, how they're taking, recruiting people through the Internet. And part of it is the psychology, because so many people think they're winning. And, uh, you know, there's a whole big thing. Even today's psychology, where CNN came out with a big poll, their big poll came out today that Trump is winning. It's good psychology, you know. It's good psychology. In that response, Trump didn't even stay on the topic of cybersecurity. Somehow he went from addressing cyber and how the Islamic State employs the internet to recruit members, reasoning that ISIS continues to use cyber because they're winning. The psychology of winning. Just like he's winning in the presidential race, at least in the one poll he cited. It's classic Trump. And he showed his unawareness about cyber by saying that a short number of years ago, it wasn't even a word. Cyber is an extract of the word cybernetics. MIT mathematician and philosopher Norbert Wiener coined cybernetics in 1948. And in government circles, Trump is running for president after all. Cyber has been in the lexicon for nearly a decade, if not longer. More than eight years ago, a group of lawmakers, policymakers, and top IT security practitioners formed the Commission on Cybersecurity for the 44th presidency and issued a 98-page report with recommendations on how the new president in 2009 should approach cybersecurity. Perhaps it's a document Trump should read. Look, we're, we're moving into a new era here uh, where a number of countries have significant capacities. And frankly, we got more capacity than anybody, both offensively and defensively. That tough talk comes from President Obama speaking earlier this week about cyber threats on America's electoral system and the ability of the United States to respond. The comment was in part aimed at the Russian government, 
who's believed to have been meddling in the U.S. electoral process. ISMG's Jeremy Kirk provides this analysis. There's an obvious explanation if Russia is meddling with the U.S. election. It's irritated by U.S. policies. If the country's angst is being expressed through cyber attacks, how can the U.S. respond? The hacking and intrusions directed at U.S. political parties and government election authorities has caused deep concern. Intelligence and law enforcement agencies are investigating whether the intrusions are part of a broad, covert campaign by Russia intended to undermine the November elections. Attribution will be difficult, though. Although several private computer security firms have said the attacks against the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton's campaign have forensic clues that link to actors believed to be Russian, it's still a fuzzy picture. However, the U.S. has confidently attributed cyber activity before, although with limited technical evidence. In mid-2014, the U.S. Department of Justice filed an indictment against five Chinese army members, accusing them of stealing intellectual property from U.S. companies. Later that year, it also quickly blamed North Korea for the devastating attacks against Sony Pictures Entertainment that stole gigabytes of internal data and wrecked computers. If Russia is proven without a doubt to have executed the attacks, an even larger problem looms. How should the U.S. respond? That question is one military experts have only been thinking about for about a decade. It begs questions of how cyber and the real world intersect. If someone downs the computers at a utility provider, can you respond by dropping a bomb? The laws of traditional warfare don't provide a clear answer. President Barack Obama said at the G20 summit this week in Beijing that there's a need to establish what is acceptable behavior in cyberspace. We've started to get some willingness on the part of a lot of countries around the world, including through our G20 process, uh, to adopt uh, these norms, but we got to make sure that we're observing them. Obama said he discussed some of those issues this week with Russian President Vladimir Putin. Putin has denied Russia's involvement and said it isn't important how the DNC data was obtained. But he added a curious statement, saying that it was important that the information was made public. If Russia is behind the attacks, it makes sense why it's irritated with the United States. The U.S. has openly accused Putin of amassing a nail-gotten fortune, and the U.S. pushed hard for the inclusion of Ukraine in NATO. Decades ago, the frustration might have been played out with aggressive war games, such as nuclear-tipped bombers weaving near international borders. Now, retaliation is cheaper and much more effective, embarrass the political party by displaying its internal emails to the public, and causing doubt in a superpower just prior to an election. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Information Security Media Group holds its next Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in Toronto this coming Tuesday and Wednesday. To preview the event, I'm joined by Bank Info Security Executive Editor Tracy Kitten. Tracy is heading up content development for this summit. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, Eric. You've been at most of the ISMG summits. What will be special about the Toronto Summit? What we're going to be covering will be very localized. We'll be talking about topics that are relevant to the market in Canada, but also bringing in some global perspective. Who's keynoting the summit? We have two keynote addresses that are going to be taking place on the second day of our summit, which is September 14th. The first keynote, which will take place in the morning, will be delivered by Steve Durbin. He's the Managing Director of the Information Security Forum, and he'll be talking about the emerging threat landscape and how we can actually get ahead of some of the threats that we are seeing in the marketplace now to ensure that we're ahead of the threats that we don't see in the marketplace quite yet. Here's Steve Durbin. It's about working collaboratively within your organization, but also across your industry sector. 
you have the early warning systems in place so that if one of your fellow banks, for instance, is, is impacted in some way, you have a means of understanding that, of sharing that information so that you can make sure that, some, that it doesn't necessarily impact your systems in, uh, in exactly the same way. It requires you to do a number of different things, I think. You, you, know, you need to be collaborating, you need to be working effectively across the organization, you need to be anticipating, you need to be planning for the worst and actually hoping for the best. And then in the afternoon, we'll be hearing from Visa, Gore Jameson, who heads up the Canadian market there, as well as works with North American acquirers. We'll talk about securing data in the future, talking about some of the lessons that the payments industry has learned and how those security lessons can be applied to other industries. In the fraud track, who's speaking and what are their topics? I'm really excited to have joining us is John Bazard of Co-op Financial Services. He used to work with the FICO Card Alert Service, and he'll be talking about when it comes to data breach mitigation as well as fraud mitigation, how should banking institutions be getting consumers involved in the process, whether that be having them send, notify banking institutions when they get text alerts, for instance, about transactions that they think might be fraudulent, or encouraging them to build a relationship or rapport with their institutions. So when they suspect that there's something fraudulent going on with their account, they notify the institution. We're also going to be hearing from Brian Engel, who works with the Retail Information Sharing Forum, which is known as the RSITS. And he'll be talking about how the retail industry is now working with the financial industry, not just in the U.S., but also throughout the world, to help share information about some of the cyber attacks that they're seeing. What would be the highlight of the breach prevention track? At the Toronto Summit, we're not going to talk so much about EMV. That's the global standard for cards equipped with computer chips and the technology used to authenticate chip card transactions. Right. We're going to talk about broader fraud issues, and I think that really is what's going to stand out. So what do you expect attendees to get out of the Toronto Summit? They'll be able to walk away with a little bit more perspective about some of the the global trends that we're seeing and then be able to apply some of that to what they're dealing with on a daily basis. The market in Canada is a little bit unique and different in a lot of ways, especially from a payments perspective, because they have a single payments network, Interact, which helps to ensure that payments in Canada are, are relatively secure. For this particular audience, we'll be able to talk about other things that go beyond payments and we'll be able to bring in some how-tos that will really be beneficial when they go back to their offices. Well, I'll be joining you there in Toronto. Thanks, and I'll see you there. Yeah, thanks. I look forward to seeing you there, Eric. Finally, President Obama this week named the federal government's first chief information security officer. He's retired Air Force Brigadier General Gregory Tuhill, who has been serving as Deputy Assistant Secretary for Cybersecurity and Communications in the Department of Homeland Security. Tuhill will report to federal CIO Tony Scott, who explained what the new job entails when it was created last February. This is a coordination and policy role across the federal civilian agencies. And as such, it would coordinate closely with all of the cybersecurity-focused elements of the government. It's not a operational role, per se. There's not going to be a team here, you know, manning a bunch of screens and keyboards and those kinds of things, you know, sort of watching for alerts but driving, rather, the more strategic sort of initiatives related to cybersecurity and making sure that we have consistent application of those across the federal agencies. Tuhill doesn't have much time to make his mark. The next president could choose his or her own federal CISO or decide to do away with the job. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.